Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of a devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the pacer's sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. As we look through the life of Paul, we are in his second journey and see as he's come through Philippi and the uproar that was caused there by the salvation of that little demon-possessed girl. He is beating, he is being thrown into jail, the salvation of the jail keeper. And now, as they go out, basically, or run out of the city, and he finds himself in Thessalonica, I can't imagine the journey. Now, Paul's body uh, is not healed, and he's suffering intensely. Says they made it in a matter of a few days, which would make you think that he rode on some kind of uh, horse or donkey. Uh, that's 30 miles a day which I know they were in shape, but that's a lot of miles to walk for three consecutive days. But they get there, and Paul does exactly what he's always done. He continues. Our theme over the past few months has been continue. And Paul is not going to let persecution, suffering, or opposition set him back or slow him down. And as his manner, the Bible says, always was, he had... Uh, a strategy every time he'd go into a city he would find the synagogue and there were several reasons for that it just gave him a preaching point uh, they would allow the itinerant rabbis and teachers to come in and preach and teach and so it gives him a platform an audience and immediate contacts and Paul's philosophy was although he was called to the Gentiles he would go to the Jews first so he goes and preaches for three Sabbath days, verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs. He's preaching this Christ, that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is the very Christ. And church, every one of us ought to understand our duty to preach and teach Christ. If you've been a Christian at any time at all, you ought to be a regular preacher and teacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about missions, we talk about sending men out and the expense of that, the languages that have to be learned. I, I think we don't emphasize enough that every average common member uh, of any Bible preaching church is a messenger of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of passing off that duty and that responsibility uh, to men with a, a calling to travel abroad, we have to understand God has placed you in that company and God's placed you in that community and God's placed you in that business and God's placed you in that school to be a light and a testimony and a witness. And we talk about the expense of reaching the world, but when you read statistics about how many Christians have been placed by a company or by the military abroad, literally hundreds of thousands of missionaries paid for by a company or the government 
to take the gospel. The problem is they just don't realize they are missionaries in their God-given duty. We can't reach the world. We easily could reach the world if every Christian would simply understand their God-given duty. Verse 4, some of them leave. This way it works. Some believe, some reject, and they consorted. I love the King James Bible. Consorted. Uh, this is what we do at teen and youth activities. This is what we do at Teen Connection. You have hundreds of kids in here. And you're with the red team, you're with the blue team, you're with the green team, you're with the yellow team. Designated to a team. Divided and separated. And these people have just changed teams. They went from Satan's team, the devil's team, the world's team, to God's team. And here they are. And the world is not happy with the fact that these people have changed teams. They're now consorting with Paul. They're there with him speaking and teaching and preaching and following and growing. And look what the Bible says. Devout Greeks, a great multitude. There was revival taking place. And I'm convinced revival can take place in any city as long as God's people get busy evangelizing. Can you imagine Capital City, the unlimited potential, if every night, now I, I know, Saturday, yesterday, we had 135 people here and another 35 or 40 back in the Spanish church meeting. When you're talking about 170, and that's not even counting the group that was out already preaching on the street and doing other things, several hundred people gathered together to preach and teach the gospel. But can you imagine the impact if every person, not two-thirds, not 68%, but 100%, 100% of the time would simply be busy about the work of God. Uh, this city would see an even greater multitude. Now, we don't know how many hundreds or thousands, and it says of important people, chief women, verse 5. But the Jews which believe, now here's what we see continually happening during the time of Paul's ministry, these Jews are going to follow him around and cause all kinds of problems. And once again, they move, they're moved with envy. They took into them certain, I love once again, our Bible. Look what it says. Look how God describes this bunch. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now here's what they're going to do. They're going to go down the market and they're going to find the thugs. They're going to pick up little thug life and big thug life and ugly thug life and gathered all these fellows together. They set all the city in an uproar, and look what happens. They assault the house of Jason. So here's Jason. He's a, he's a follower. He's become a believer. And suddenly you have all these thug lives. Can you imagine banging on your doors and banging on your windows and determined to get inside? They think Paul and Silas and his missionary team's in there. They're going to be disappointed because they're not. They're out doing what they're always doing, evangelizing. But they grab Jason, they pull him out. Jason's fearful for his life. This young convert is just trying to figure out, I wanted to live for Christ. Now I'm finding myself in a spot where I may have to die for Christ. And here was their cry. Now this is one of my favorite uh, verses in all the Bible. Look what it says. This is a lost world. These heathen, these thug lives. Here's their attack and their accusation. These that have what? Turned the world upside down. Now, this is Christianity. This is what is supposed to happen. Now, 
here's, I want to make three statements that are underlying statements of the entire message. Not my outline, but if you just lock into this outline, it'll carry you all the way through this morning. Number one, the world is wrong side up. This world. Now, God didn't make it this way. Sin made it this way. But God made this world right side up. The Garden of Eden, all that changed when Eve, when Eve, when Eve sinned and led Adam to sin. This world went wrong side up. And here's what needs to happen. It needs turned right side up. And God's people are given this duty. Now, that's going to be the underlying theme of the message this morning. This world is upside down. Now, it's not going to stay that way forever. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back soon. He's going to straighten things out. He's going to rule in sovereignty over this world. And uh, he is sent. Now, we're not supposed to sit around and do nothing about it. He has sent messengers in every generation, every born-again child of God. He's supposed to shine light in a dark world. But when we do, that disturbs them, that perturbs them. And here's what we find in Paul, everywhere he went, he was turning the world upside down. Chapter 16, now first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey, before his first missionary journey. I mean, immediately after salvation, he teaches and preaches Christ, and the Jews seek to kill him. And Christian, it is time for God's people to get beyond their fears and understand there is a world out there wrong side up. And we see it and we know it and the truths of God's word have revealed it. The average Christian is just too fearful. Too fearful. Wherever he's at, wherever God has placed him, there are so many people your pastor cannot reach. So many people I do not know. That may be your family members. It may be those in your neighborhood. It may be those in your place of business or your school. And you know they are wrong side up. Everything they know and everything they've been taught and everything they believe is absolutely in contrary opinion to the word of God. And here's what God wants to do, turn things right side up. Paul had, when we think about his impact all across Asia and now in Europe, he had no money. You think it would take a lot of money to turn the world upside down. It would take some kind of political clout or power or executive power it would take friends in high places it would take soldiers it would take servants he had none of that and yet he turned the world upside down when that little girl followed him around yelling these are the servants of the most high god and paul gets tired of it he casts out the demon and that little girl has an exchange that takes place in her heart from the, the forces of Satan to the Son of God indwelling her. Now, here's, here's what happens. This world, this government, and political leaders will tell you they want to fix things. You know better than that. There is no greater light than that. They have no intention, no desire. That would affect their power and their purse strings. Yes. They don't want to fix it. Right. Let's just send a psychologist. Let's just... Send a doctor to abort that little life. Let's just give them more drugs. Matter of fact, let's not just give them prescription drugs. Let's give them needles to do illegal drugs. Let's not provide a solution for the homeless in our city. Let's just provide them tents and bathrooms. They, they don't want solutions. And here's what God does. He actually provides life-changing solutions. And 
That's what they don't want. And Paul was going to provide a solution. They would rather say, leave them drunk, leave them drugged, leave them, leave them helpless, leave them raped, leave them homeless. You can shake your head and agree with me because it is the truth. And this world gets disturbed when uh, someone becomes a born-again child of God and their life changes that drastically. They want their uh, friends and neighbors to get a little bit of help. Drink a little less. Don't endanger people through your drugs, but if you need to relax, it's all okay. Here's what God does. God will take all of, all of that from a man in a moment and drastically change his life. And this is what Paul was doing everywhere he went, preaching Christ, and lives were drastically changed. Now, that's, that was the Son of God in his ministry, right? He came to seek to save. And he was turning things upside down. And that caused him to be put to death. Now, we know that was the purpose and the plan. Go, go back with me to Mark for just a moment. Keep... Keep your finger here. Mark 15. But we want to see the accusation because, church, you need to understand this has always been the accusation. This will always be the accusation. Look at the hypocrisy of those in power. And let me just remind you this. Uh, governments and politicians are always angered by someone who uh, has more power, more influence, or greater impact than they do. That's disturbing to them. Mark 15, look what it says in verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with him that had made, what? Insurrection with him, who had committed murder and? Now this was obvious. Now what was the accusation against Christ? Insurrection. He's calling himself the king. He is rising up. He's speaking. It's all lies. But they're accusing him of insurrection and now here's a man who has been proven to be a participant and a leader in insurrection. He's condemned to die. Not only did he lead it and participate in it, he committed murder in the midst of the insurrection. So you have a known proven insurrectionist, murderous, hateful, trying to overthrow the Roman government. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who is called the King of the Jews. Never hurt anyone, has no soldier, has never let anyone. Matter of fact, when they tried to make him king, he refused to be made king. So they're given a choice. Verse 12. And Pilate answered and said unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye, should, whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Verse 11 says, Because the chief priests have moved the people that he should rather what? Release. Do you see the hypocrisy? The hypocrisy is Christ who is turning the world their problem. You know why Christianity is considered insurrection? Because you are preaching God's word and God's word goes against everything man says and believes and they can't handle that. We're talking about the most peace-loving, peace-giving, peace-living person on the planet, accused of insurrection, and the known insurrectionist is going to be released so that the accused insurrectionist will die. 
And that's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 17. Look what it says. The irony of Acts 18 does the same thing. Uh, the Christ suffered. The apostles suffered. And we know throughout all the ages, it's been the same. Acts 18 verse 12. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made what? The, the, the who? The Jews. Now, hold on for a second. While they're making insurrection, what are they going to be accusing the apostles of? Insurrection. But there's always been hypocrisy in government. Be careful of the crowd that's making accusations because usually the very accusations they're making, they're participating in. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. They brought him to the judgment seat saying... This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. He's an insurrectionist. He has no followers. He, he's not committed any crimes. He's not standing up against the government. So while we commit insurrection, let's accuse Paul, the innocent, of insurrection. Do you see what's going on? Now, this is not new, but this is what's taking place. So if you participate in Turning the world upside down, you're, you'll understand that God is at enmity with this world. His book and everything in this book is trying to take a world that's wrong side up and turn it right side up. Now, go to Matthew 5 for a minute because of all the teachings of Christ uh, is trying to turn this world back right side up. The way the men are seen in this world is wrong side up. What does man say? If you have a degree, if you're a politician, it doesn't matter how you obtain this power. If you have money. Now, we can't take all the times that this is mentioned in Scripture. We'll just stay right here in Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. But unless you become, what did Christ say, is one of these little ones. You, you can't get born again. You can't get saved. You can't enter the kingdom of God. God's exalted little one while man exalts the man with power, the man with money, the man with intellect, the man with talent. And, and God takes all of that. Luke chapter 12, here's a man that's had financial success and he's uh, now purchased a lot of property and he's building greater barns and he's putting more money in his retirement accounts and he's buying up more businesses and God looks at him and has these words to say, thou fool. Because whatever man's philosophy is, it's wrong side up and God's word is trying to turn it right side up. Now look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, what's the world say? The poor in spirit is stupid. Give him medication. Provide him an education. Talk to him about self-esteem. Put him through some classes. Blessed are the meek. This world says the meek are weak. Blessed are the proud. Blessed are those that beat their chest. Blessed are those that stand up for themselves. Blessed are those. Everything in this world is something pride. So whether that deals with your, your race or your color or your sex, you, you fill in the blank and then yell pride because I am proud. of. And God says, 
Blessed art thou. Meek. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. And the world says, blessed are those that step on the next person over to get to the top. And as many people as you can destroy and hurt and take advantage of on your way to the top, bless you for that success. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's not what the world is teaching. Blessed are the defiled. Blessed are those that are filled with wickedness and the evil of this world and the rot and the smut. And if you you can't provide it for yourself, we'll provide you technology to help you eliminate any purity of heart that you might have. Are you following me? We're talking about a world that is wrong side up. The God's word is trying, the teaching the Lord Christ is trying to reverse and put right side up. Now it's every... Thing in this book goes contrary to the thinking of this world. Jump all the way down to verse 38. Let's just read a few more phrases here before we move on. Christ, he, he says, verse 38, ye have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we've been taught, they smack you, smack them back. They hurt you, hurt them back. They kick you, kick them back. If they cause you a problem, run over, put the car in reverse and run back over them. They don't need a tire mark, they need 12 tire marks. They don't need hurt. They need eliminated. But Christ said, I said to you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite me on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do you see the world's philosophy and Christ's philosophy? The two are in total opposition. This is the conflict. When the world says, they're turning the world upside down, it's because all of their direction, their destiny, their philosophy, their teaching, their education goes contrary to the word of God. So when you oppose that, hey, they're turning things upside down. No, actually they're turning things right side up. And if this accusation is not being made against you, there's a problem with your Christianity. If you are following the world in their philosophy where they can't notice a difference and they don't feel the opposition, there's a problem with your Christianity. And it's, listen, we're talking about weeks after they come into town. You said, Pastor, when it says three weeks, who knows if it's talking about he's, he's been there and only in the synagogue for three weeks. Maybe he's been there for months. Or I don't believe it took Paul, when you study the book of Acts, it did not take months for the people of, of those cities to understand this man is turning things upside down. And his converts and his followers and those lives that he affects and those lives that he touched, they are drastically changed. They are radically helped. Verse 40. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak. Whatever he's asking for, just give it all away. Verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What's the world say? If you've got an enemy, do everything you can to hurt them. React. Overreact. This is a great time for a platform of hatred. Let them know. Gather your band together. Defame, slander, hurt. And Christ said, no. Love them. Kill them with love. 
As much hate as they show, that's how much love should be reciprocated. Hey, everything in this world's upside down, church. Here's what we don't understand. We see the world out there and we see a philosophy. I don't want to get distracted this morning. There's too many things to preach when you hit a text like this. The bottom line is, I'm convinced that most Christianity is so fear-filled. Our kids are fearful. Our adults are fearful. Our men are fearful. Our supposed spiritual leaders are fearful. Fearful of passing out a tract. Fearful of being identified as a Christian. Fearful of being identified as an independent Baptist. Fearful of being identified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fearful of being called a homophobe. Fearful of being called a hater or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't stand and say, I believe that book and whatever it says, I believe it. You can call it antiquated or out of date or isolated. We know that during the end times, things are going to be drastically changed and people will die for the, the, the Bible and for preaching the word of God and for his name's sake. We're not at that point. Church, here's what I believe. I, I'm convinced that the United States of America in its short history, you, you consider other nations of the world and literally countries that have thousands of years of history. I've traveled around the world. It's amazing to see Rome and, and places in Europe where literally you can see thousands of years of history when the United States of America, we go to Philadelphia and we talk about 250 years. How is it that America became this great nation in this short, brief moment in time? I believe America exists for three reasons. Number one, to fund missions around the world, worldwide evangelization. I believe that's why um, the primary reason America exists. I believe America exists to help, to support, to befriend, and to defend Israel. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul. And I believe America got, gave them the finances and the military might uh, to, to be able to uh, help and defend against uh, nations and leaders and governments with the spirit of the Antichrist. I believe that's why America exists. And I believe when America ceased to fulfill her purpose, she will cease to exist as a nation. Now, we're talking about more on the physical level. Now, let's talk about on the spiritual level. Church, let's talk about our corporate body. Let's talk about us individually as Christians. I believe when we cease to fund missions around the world, we cease to fulfill our purpose. I've been in Mexico and I've been in other countries, Argentina and whatever country you want to talk about from Ecuador to Colombia to Malawi to to even European countries, listen, America has the funds. Our churches have the money. Our Christians have the capability. But we're filled with excuses as if we were broke. 
as we talk about people who live off of, when half the world's population live, lives on less than $2.50 a day, and we talk about broke as we buy a $6 latte. We just spent two days' wages and sipped it for 22 minutes. We've, we have the ability. And I believe as a church, when we fail to fulfill our purpose, God says there's no purpose in your existence. Now, hold on for a second. When we fail to oppose the forces of darkness and the spirit of the Antichrist, we have no purpose for existing. And when we look at this city, I don't care how dark Austin is, and I don't care about Austin's culture or 6th Street or the University of Texas or the perversion or just trying to figure out this gender fluid madness and you can't sit at a table or order a plate without trying to figure out what is this thing serving my food i don't even know how to address them is this a woman trying to be a man a man trying to be a woman a person trying to be an id and we are so intimidated by the madness to pass out a track now church here's what we've got to understand turning this thing right side up is going to face opposition because everything they do and everything they believe goes contrary to the word of God and Paul said I don't care what it costs and I don't care what I face here's here's what happens when when Christ we see throughout his ministry when he brought salvation and now, 2,000 years later, you know what's happened in your life, and you've seen it happen in other people's lives. When he moves into the heart of a person, we're talking about turning things right side up. Okay, the magazines in your house change. What comes across the TV set and the computer screen change. And pictures that hung on the walls are now replaced, some with Bible verses. Uh, the, those paintings that probably it should have never been there. Suddenly, and people come and say, the decorations are new, and your speech is new, and your habits are new, and your hobbies are new, and your the spirit of the house is new. That's that's because Christ has turned things right side up. And how is it that the kids are obedient and? And mom's not screaming at anyone. And dad actually comes home for dinner. What's taking place in this home? There, there are no kids cowering under the bed. There are no curse words being exchanged. There's no abuse taking place. And the world is angry. Because your home was made better. Do, do you... If you follow the life of Paul everywhere he went, these homes, these houses, these marriages, these lives were radically made better. And this world can't take it. The world loves misery. They're addicted to hate. They have to have pain. And while they talk about a better life, it just means more beer, more drugs, more money, more hopelessness. And church... You know this because it happened. Whatever your life was B.C., before Christ, mixed up and messed up. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I want to take things and turn them right side up.
And church, here's my challenge for you this morning. How is it that we talk about sending the gospel around the world when we've got a city of two million people that needs turned right side up? And it can be done because each one has been placed in a circle of people that they are supposed to influence. And yet we've turned off the light. We've gotten silent. We've allowed fear to shut us down and to shut us up. No tracks. Tracks her for Saturday. No witness. It might hurt my ability to ascend the ladder at this company or at this corporation. It may hurt my ability to get this contract. I won't be able to progress. My friendship will be over if I actually speak to this person about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our heart of hearts, we know this world is upside down. But we don't have a testimony of turning it right side up because the intimidation has kept us from doing our due duty and diligence in fulfilling the obvious commands of the Word of God. This Bible wasn't given to us only for our personal lives and our homes and our personal marriages. This was meant for us to go out of our doors and make sure others people, other people got their lives and their homes and their marriages turned right side up. Thank you, preacher. Now let me ask you this this morning. I don't want to belabor the point. Go back, go back with me for just a moment to Acts 17. Have you had a moment when your life got turned right side up? Then you need to have that. That's salvation. You know what salvation will do? It'll turn your life right side up. You know why we run buses to help people turn their life right side up? You know why we have a Spanish church to help people turn their life right side up? You have people coming from all across this planet. And Americans crying out about Illegal immigration, the chaos that it's causing. And it is. We ought to have a government that tries to fix it. And we don't. But meanwhile, you know what our duty is? Helping people whose lives have been, from the moment of birth, upside down, inside out, and we have the gospel, and instead of helping them, how many of you say my life was turned right side up by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I was on the wrong track, messed up. My life, I thank God that I was born and raised in a Christian home, and so from my youth, that's, that's all I've known. The gospel, and, and life with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, in a book to guide us, but for those that have not had that, and to think that we would be so selfish in in such a self-protected mode that I don't want to endanger, I don't want to risk. Church, I've spent the past week in in prayer for missionaries considering the risks. Theft, assault, rape, civil war in a lot of these countries. The danger of just getting behind the wheel and driving some of these roads. Just the fact that you're an American, just the fact that your kids have very light skin and blue eyes makes them a target, makes you a target. Now the hatred towards Americans is being stirred. 
And yet our missionaries have willfully chosen that and put themselves in very dangerous situations and mistrail out there a single mother because she had a husband who said, I'm willing to minister to the Muslims and die for the cause of Christ. And one day a band of these thugs show up with rifles and riddle his body with bullets and she witnesses his death. We're talking last week about one of Israel's greatest witnesses and missionaries uh, who had his food laced with poison and murdered. We're, we're talking about, folks, this dispensation, not years past, not missionary biographies, but men that are serving now, the Desirs kidnapped and his own mother kidnapped. And we're talking about in, in the past weeks what has taken place around the world. And we expect those men, let's put 50 bucks in your pocket and you go minister in those dangerous places. But we're in Austin and it'd be dangerous for me to speak up against Christ. Because you cannot imagine someone might do this to me. They're not going to pull out a knife and shank me. They're not going to pull out a gun and shoot me. They're going to do this. And that's scary. What if they do this? And that's scary. Turning the world means people are going to cause an uproar. Verse 5, they said, all the city in an uproar. Verse 7, whom Jason hath received, these all do what? Contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying... There's another king, one Jesus. Now, what is this world fearful of? Someone who understands our loyalty is to a greater king than any earthly king. Our loyalty is to a book greater than any constitution. That makes me a peace-loving American. I love America. But I love my God and this book and his word above all else. Christians, it is time for us to get a hold of this book and say, if I'm a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be busy in turning some things up, upside down. That, that means just reading this book, just preaching this book, just winning souls is turning lives upside down. You don't need to be abrasive. You don't need to be caustic. You don't need to be hurtful. You don't need to be inappropriate. Just follow this book and preach this book and love this book and live by this book. And you'll find out real quick. This world's going to say, you're a problem. Because you're turning things upside down. And you say, no, we're just turning things right side up. 